This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip Spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it does not feel good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every drinker. It's crafted using bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, and you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore NA. So head on over to SeedlipDrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is SeedLipDrinks.com and ThisFamilyTree10. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband, Shane. We are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on This Family Tree podcast, episode 123. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. A great one. (laughs) We have Dr. Lori Brado tonight. So she's a Canadian psychologist, the author of Better Sex Through Mindfulness. And we debunk myths about sexual desire. We talk about the impact of stress, of motherhood, of the pandemic on our sex lives and on our libido and how to cultivate desire through mindfulness and bringing that into the foreplay and to your, you know, just your life kind of before you even think about intimacy. Amazing conversation. She is so good, such a pro in the field. And I loved picking her brain. She was amazing. What were some little uh, Cole's notes that I could take away from you? You got to wait, Shane. You got to listen to the episode. Fine. The whole thing is going to be beneficial for you. Okay. For me? <laughs> I don't know. For Do everybody. Do I need to be more mindful? I think everybody could be a little more mindful when it comes to getting down. Okay. But. Getting down. Okay. Getting down. Cheers, baby. Cheers. Ooh. So tonight, keeping it simple, Seedlip Grow 42 with a little tonic, so a little bit of citrus. Just a nice little, uh, my parents are in Florida and I'm jealous. So I want to make just, you know, a slightly tropical tasting drink. Okay. Let me see here. Yes. This is good. Well, you know, I'm used to all the seed lips now, so you're not going to really catch me <laughs> off guard, especially if we do a little bit of a lazier drink, which is A-OK. I mean, it is your birthday tomorrow. I know. And right now is my pre-birthday, so I need to relax and get in the zone, really relax for the last day of 32. A lot of pressure on this birthday, more is, than other years. How do you feel pressure? Well, the emotion, you know, it's an emotional roller coaster sometimes, a person's birthday for some people. I don't <laughs> want to say for women, it's for me, for men too. The stereotype is that, you know, women try mm-hmm. to drag on their birthday and they're a little dramatic about it. However, you know, I rail against that stereotype. But this year, I would say... You're more emotional about your birthday than other years. Would I be accurate? Yeah, I'm definitely feeling emotional. I just, I feel sad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My parents are in Florida. That kind of makes me sad. You know, they're not going to be around. Your parents being teachers, though, you must be used to them never being around on your birthday. Because your birthday falls in March break. Mm -hmm. So parents are usually gone for your birthday. So you're not used to it by now. Or you're... So used to it that you've gotten fed up and it's coming yeah, out. I don't love it. But but you know what? It's fine. We'll celebrate when they get back. But uh, 
Yeah, I, I miss that. I like being surrounded by people you love on a birthday. And then, of course, it puts lots of pressure on you, the spouse, to make my day somewhat magical. You know, so I hope you called in a bunch of bouquets of flowers to make it look like spring in here. And I'm just joking. I'm not You're trying not to put joking. more. No, I'm not trying to put yeah. more pressure on you. I am joking. You want it all and more. And we're going on a trip next week. Well, away. look, look. I've never been one to be like, all right, everybody, it's my birthday. Let's go out. But maybe I should have because I have had, when it comes to friends, not family, I've had a lot of crappy birthdays, especially in university. And that started kind of getting me down about the whole birthday thing. Should we share the cake story? Yeah. Yeah. What's the cake story, Alex? So it was my worst birthday ever. And I had great birthdays growing up. Like my parents really made me feel so special, my friends and everything. But that stopped at the age 19. I'd say it stopped in university. My my roommates weren't conscientious. They were like mean girls. Mm. But they'd, they'd pick on each other and then they would shift who would be the object of the picking on. So anyway, it was my birthday, you know, as it is every March 20th. And I go to classes. You know, I, I see my roommates in the morning. It's just kind of your typical like, oh, hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, Do blah. they say happy birthday? No happy birthday. Do they okay. know it's your birthday? It's on freaking Facebook. That's all we were using. Like, I don't even know if we had Instagram okay. at that point. I don't think we did. So go to classes, come back. It's like maybe three o'clock in the afternoon. And they're all sitting there in the living room watching like the cooking network eating a birthday cake. And I was like, oh, like, is that that's a cake? And at this point, I was like, oh, maybe they're going to, you know, come around and say happy birthday to me eventually acknowledge it. And they're like, yeah, we were hungry and, you know, we wanted something sweet. So we got a birthday cake for a snack. Did not acknowledge that it was weird eating a birthday cake on my birthday. Still didn't say happy birthday. I'm convinced it was some weird power play. So anyway, I freaked out. I called on my- On them? You let them know? No. Did no. they offer you a piece of the cake? I don't think so. And wow. even if they did, it's like, do you want a piece of cake on your freaking birthday? So I didn't say anything to them. I just went, packed up a bag, called my best friend here and was like, hey, I'm coming home. I don't know if you're doing anything tonight. Do you want to do something? She's like, Alex, it's your birthday. Like you're coming home now at three o'clock. And I was like, yeah. So then Wait, she's this like, a.m.? No, p.m. So she was like in the afternoon. So she's like, oh, my God, come to my house. I got something going on they for you. They were eating a cake, a full birthday cake in the afternoon? Yeah. Wow, the university That's- days. I, I never didn't go to university, but that sounds like a fun time. <laughs> right. But not if you're the one who's getting left out. Yeah, not for you, but other people. So anyway, like I get home and then my friend Victoria had like thrown together a party out of nowhere, invited all these people to her house, got like 500 pieces of sushi and all this booze and threw me a spur of the moment awesome birthday party. Which I will never forget because it went from being the worst to being really lovely. But that feeling of like being rejected in such a mean way on your birthday is awful. And then boyfriends after that, they were always bad at birthdays and, you know, it sucked. And because I never like called together the bat squad for a birthday, I always just felt like if I didn't do anything, nothing would happen and I wouldn't do anything have i been bad at birthdays no no no, you're great so that's the thing like being in a relationship with you you're very conscientious and you're considerate at birthdays because i'm trying to on like figure i don't i hate when i hate saying unpack like you know like let's unpack this but today we're at the fortinos (laughs) 
<laughs> and we're walking around grocery shopping and we pass cakes and you're like nudging me and pointing at the cakes and being like, oh, look, cakes, maybe you should get one of those. Acting like you're reminding me that you need a birthday cake to I, eat. I thought I might need to. I always, even when my parents said, you know, like. But that was so insulting. And for me, it was, even if you thought that I wasn't going to get you a birthday cake, it's worth not mentioning just to see if I do. I think that mild anxiety of not knowing whether I got you a cake could be trumped by the surprise of actually getting one from a husband you're assuming won't. But give me the benefit of the doubt a little bit. And I don't like being tested, but test me there. Let's see if I pass the test. Let's see if a cake comes on the actual birthday. It, to me, it kind of ruined the surprise. So then I have to be like, <laughs> oh, no, I got you a Dairy Queen cake. Do you, would you prefer that cake? I thought you liked ice cream cakes. And then, am I right? Do you like ice cream cakes? I like ice no? cream cakes. Yeah, I love what ice cream What do you like cakes. more, ice cream cake or Fortino cakes? Either. Depends. I love ice cream cake. I love Dairy Queen ice cream cake. They're like. What do you like more? I don't like one more, Shane. So how did I hear you liked ice cream cakes? I don't know. Oh, this could have been another girlfriend. <laughs> so it's all in my mind that you like ice cream cake so i thought it'd be a great surprise am i wrong i can cancel the cake no i like ice cream cake shane i like they've already cream. scribbled on it but f it <laughs> they can just throw a uh a sit for sale sign on that no i like ice cream cakes i love dairy queen cakes you're sure yeah yeah and then you know i then i heard your cake story there were tears like i'd heard well, the story shane, before but never so emotional i, I, cl- I have a hang up about cakes I've made more birthday cakes for myself than I can count. And I was thinking, I, w- I was thinking, okay, in the past, we have gone on trips. However, all of our trips have been hotel stays. One time we stayed at like this luxury yeah, suite for a night. It costs like, we'll you know. We'll see where it is. Check out, check out the owner's suite at the Drake Devonshire. It's like in all the architectural magazines for being the coolest yeah. hotel and room. Pay special attention to the price of the owner's suite. <laughs> Like, and see if this deserves maybe never mentioning cakes. But to your point, when we're out, it's just you and I and it's a hotel. So usually it's a slice of cake or whatever pastries yes. are there. And it's not the full round cake. It's a slice or some sort of dessert. Also, in 2020 of the pandemic, March March mm-hmm. 20th, that was seven. No, that was nine days into the pandemic. Yes. Where we didn't know. You didn't need to wash down your groceries or accept packages. Mm -hmm. So I made sure to get you donuts and I sanitized them and do all that. But that's not a cake. That was the, that, but that was so special. That was so nice. And it was so nice to have the donuts on the front porch with the kid. We didn't have Betty at the time. And it was so special. And tomorrow, since we will be with the kids, then it is nice to have a cake. And then the kids get to sing happy birthday. But just the accusation. It felt accusational. I wasn't being accused. I wasn't accusing you of anything. And it, it was weird. It was a weird move. And then I was like, hey, you ruined the surprise. Why are you going back in your seat? Are you mad at me? You're mad for bringing it no, up. No, for is getting f- so into it. This is a fun thing. We're having a fun combo here. Is this not fun? You're, you're laughing. You're accusing me of being accusatory. Okay. What else we got? (laughs) But Shane, wait, wait, wait. I do want to stick on birthdays for a little longer. Okay. What are your emotions coming up to your birthday? And have I done a good job historically with your birthdays? I wouldn't say, you know, I think I set the precedent a little bit and then you had to match it. But the last birthday was the best birthday. 
However, I think that was fueled because our daughter's birthday is the same as my birthday. So it's picked up Mm -hmm. since now Lucy's birthday, my birthday falls on the same day. So planning needs to go well in advance. And while everyone's planning for Lucy, they're like, oh, yeah, we might as well start with Shane, too. And then Ninja Turtles are on the front lawn. They're like, throw Shane's name on there, too. So it's like, happy birthday, Shane. Get out of here. You put Ninja Turtles on the front lawn. Do you remember when you were 35, when you turned 35, I got 35 balloons in the house. And on every single balloon, I wrote a little note about one thing that I loved about you and left them in the house. And you had to go and pick up every balloon and every love note? I don't remember that, no. Oh my God, we even have the love notes in our in our little chest upstairs. God, we gotta open that. We need a nostalgia day. <laughs> <laughs> we we missed nostalgia day this year. <laughs> Wait, when was it supposed the, to be? When I was 35. That was basically, we're, you know, we're in the first flush of love. Everything's a big grand well, thing. Well, we'd already been married for a year. Yeah, we knew each other for like, Seven months, though. I'm just saying, I've always put a lot of thought and love into your birthdays, Jane. More so since Lucy's been born, though. Well, I feel like I'm better at it now. Because you have to plan for the little girl. And then I'm part of that. I'm just saying, I do not think there's Ninja Turtles on our front lawn on my birthday saying, Happy birthday, Shane. If we didn't have a three-year-old who also liked Ninja Turtles, who had the same birthday as me. Well, it would be ridiculous, but I do think that I'm good on your birthdays. You've gotten better. I, I was never bad. Maybe I don't love balloons as much as you. No, but it's just you walk down and the balloons are so festive and it's fun. I know, but... Uh, it gives you that will, little kick. Okay, will you be upset? And I'm not saying they're there. I'm not saying they're not. If there's no balloons tomorrow, will there be a tint? <laughs> will there be tears? No, tint? get out of here. Will you be disappointed? No. If there are balloons, will you be disappointed? No. What would you prefer? <laughs> Maybe flowers or balloons. Mm. But we have we have a happy birthday sign in the cupboard. I know. You don't think I thought of doing the bare minimum and grabbing that happy birthday sign from the cupboard? Don't be surprised if you see that. That sign is amazing. Sorry, there might have been a hummingbird outside. Does that make sense? I've never seen one. It would be very cool. So there's crazy bird action. Things I'm sorry happening. to get. I'm sorry to get distracted. Yeah, it's a special spring. Spring is tomorrow. Tomorrow on your birthday. Wow. First day of spring, and I could see the birds. Like they might be making a nest in that corner to lay eggs. Yeah. There's something special going on. Yeah. So I, I want today wasn't the day I expected. I thought maybe it'd have that little like Christmas Eve vibe, but birthday Eve. So what? How do I make you happy? No, obviously not talking about this. I know that. So. <laughs> Change? Do you want to? Uh, no, look, no, look. You got work to do tonight. I already decided while you're working, I'm going to play Toe Jam and Earl. And it's going to make me feel so good. And I can't wait. I've been thinking about it all afternoon. You playing Toe Jam and Earl alone, which is a multiplayer game that can go up to four players, might make me start crying, actually. Just that, <laughs> I don't know. That's a sad image of just. <laughs> you have lots of work to do. Okay, I'll try to get it done fast. Do you want me to, like, pop open a thing of champagne or anything tomorrow okay tomorrow you know well here's the other thing for about tomorrow about on my birthday so we're going to a kid's birthday party can i drink the champagne before the kid's birthday party i think so yeah can i just kind of have a buzz going all day because then you're you're just the number one parent sure yes yeah and by the way when lucy said it's alex's birthday tomorrow she wasn't talking about you. She was talking about the other Alex. Yeah. <laughs> we're celebrating another Alex's birthday. But it's going to be great because we're going to a trampoline thing. Lucy's going to bounce herself to sleep. It's going to be great. 
But you want to have drank a whole bottle of champagne by that morning. Not a whole bottle. Maybe if I have like two mimosas in the morning. Okay. Upon waking up with my coffee. So I should get orange juice. No, you know what? I'd rather just a champagne over a mimosa. Mimosa ruins the champagne. Okay. Yeah. Take a note here. I'm down with that. All right. And what's your favorite flower, Alex? Not that I haven't (laughs) planned everything. I'm just curious. I just want to know. And I want it on. I've never really thought about my favorite. You seem like someone who would be like sunflower. No, no, no. Hmm. I like I like them a lot. Um daffodils are such a nice spring flower. I like daffodils. I like those. Mm -hmm. So they're yellow, right? Mm -hmm. They're really pretty. And they just when you see daffodils, you know it's spring, right? So it feels nice. Oh, my favorite flowers are peonies, of course. Mm -hmm. Almost forgot about that peonies. They're white? Pink. Okay. Pinky white. I don't know. Maybe they come in lots of different colors, but yeah. Yeah, what? I was going to say, do you have a favorite flower? Tulip? I don't know. Daisy, maybe? Oh, tulips are nice. Daisy. I like uh, sunflower, though. Yeah. Happy flower. Ukrainian flower. What do you have over there? All right. So next up, we have been watching this show. There's two shows I actually want to talk about. So one is Pam and Tommy. We finished it and we told you guys we were watching it. And I thought it was so well done. I thought it was so fun to watch. And like there were things about it that were really cringy, such as Sebastian Stan. I don't know how much I like him, but I thought it was so fun to watch. And I think that I'm a little bit biased because Shane, we are so different from Pam and Tommy Lee, but I also felt so many similarities to the beginning of their relationship, not where it like deteriorates, but I felt like I was watching a glamorized version of our origin story. Yeah, it could. I I felt the same. Yeah. Smaller. Oh, I already said that, I think, as a joke last time. Yeah, but I look at myself as Pam in the the scenario. (laughs) So I guess my boobs were smaller. But it's true. Who's the actress? Lily... Lily James. Lily James. That's probably the best performance I've ever seen. If a goal of a performance is to be as accurate as humanly possible to the person you're portraying in a biopic film. I've never seen anything like that. Unfortunately, it's a bit of a silly popcorn movie. So I don't think it's going to get any Academy Award love. Also, it's a series. But I feel like she's... She should win every award that she's. How about the makeup team? Even for making her look so much like him, it was amazing. Like Stan, what's his name? I've forgotten all actors' names. Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan. He did great. Like Mm -hmm. he was so competent, but he he almost looked like a bad Tommy Lee compared to how good (laughs) Lily James was. I know. I I was reading about what they went through for her makeup routine. So it was like four hours to get her into the makeup. And this is after they had done custom, what do you call it? Like breast, like a fake breast for her to wear. They did um, a a fake forehead because Mm. Lily James had a smaller area from her eyebrows to her forehead than Pam. So they made her a fake forehead. And like all this stuff, like they gave her custom fitted teeth that helped her get a smile like Pam and like speak like Pam, everything. And they even gave her um, this scar. Shane and I kept, Fit, like looking it like a at birthmark, it. yeah. I found out what it is. What's that? Pam got like all these leeches attack attached to her as a kid, and they weren't taken off properly, so they left all the scarring. Oh wow! Yeah, from like swimming in a river. Yeah, you figured because everything else was so accurate to just have weird mm-hmm. birthmarks wouldn't add up unless it was true to it. But but worth a watch for sure. Super worth a watch. Uh, and then the other show is Laugh Out Loud. Is it Last One Laughing? 
It's yeah, LOL. LOL, last one laughing. They have it one in Australia and one in Canada that's available on Prime if you're in Canada. And my favorite part is so it was like fun to watch, but last night Shane and I took what, like 45 minutes and we were trying to play the game. So the point of the game is you have all these comedians in a room, like 10 comedians in a room for six hours. And you are not allowed to smile. You're not allowed to laugh. And you have to actively try to make the other people laugh. It is so hard. And I want to recommend that if you are looking for something fun to do on a date night or just like today with your spouse, put on a timer for five minutes and try to crack each other up without cracking up yourself. And you get two chances. So the first time you laugh, that's a yellow card. The second time is a red card and you're out of the game. So that's why we played last night. I think I got you six times in a row. And you got <laughs> you got me once. I was surprised you got me. And much like on the show, which you think, oh, this is going to be TV friendly. Mm-hmm. They have a bunch of comics of varying ages. It is the especially the Australian version. Oh my god! One of the raunchiest, rawest show. The full frontal male nudity. <laughs> I couldn't believe what, it was like Pam and Tommy, but yeah. comedy version. And these people were hilarious. I, it's mentally exhausting too. Playing for five minutes, mm-hmm. your cheeks hurt. You you get into a bit of a brain fog, Absolutely. and uh, yeah, it gave me new respect for the game too. But I recommend LOL Australia. Watch mm-hmm. that one first, and then watch it's, the Canadian one. It's, it's a different wild vibe, one. but it's very cool. So Shane, just talking about TV and everything, um, I read an article recently, and it was like the standout male performer of the year in TV shows and movies. Do you know? What they were talking about? No. What? The penis. Oh, yeah. And because full frontal male nudity took red like rocket, a huge yeah. red rocket power of the dog with Benedict Cumberbatch. And of course, Pam and Tommy, even though it was like a fake but, penis. But there was a fake penis in Red Rocket also. Yeah. I don't think power of the dog, though. No. So it's, And I think Euphoria had male full frontal, too. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. From what I heard. But I, I don't think if you have a fake penis, if there is an award for it. It, it sh- the fake one shouldn't be up. No, but uh, but I think the fact that you're seeing any kind of male appendage on the screen is like this year it's been happening a lot. And I know you talked about this, I think, on your last podcast, but I- I'm curious to ask you, would you ever, because you do have a show coming, you're working on a show right now, a TV show, a sketch comedy show. Would you ever, if it was called for in a sketch, appear full frontal, not a fake codpiece? I the scene would have to really require it and it depends how much I'm getting paid what's the prestige (laughs) of the project I'm working on is there a fluff person on set like all of these things matter (laughs) is that that somebody to get it like yeah it's a professional it's not what it's not what you're thinking it's like uh depends what like you're into that person will fluff you I'm kidding (laughs) yeah yeah they're used on like I think porno sets it might be a myth i don't know i'm just saying words yeah fluff person like maybe i got that from boogie nights where they they, yeah yeah. they get you ready so you you start out at a fair thing where you're not going to uh be undersized (laughs) to what undersized it's all relative of course what undersized is but to you that Mm -hmm. you can be as blossomed as possible now what would be your minimum uh amount of money Oh, I thought you were going to ask me for like some inches question. No, uh, no. My minimum amount of money. I don't know. Money doesn't even. Once you get into this age and you bought a house, money. Yeah. It's really hard to change your life. Uh, depends what how, how liquid I am, I guess. 
(laughs) At least 50,000. But it'd be more prestige in your case. I don't know. It depends. I need to know. I need to see the contract. I need to see the project. If it's a Tarantino film and I'm not getting paid, maybe that will lead to future payments. So some projects, you make money off them, but not directly Mm -hmm. off them. All right. Interesting. And, you know, you brought up Red Rocket because Simon Rex was in that movie. Of course, he was one of the guys full frontal, but he was wearing a piece. Uh, But my next topic actually has to do with Simon Rex. So check him out. He was on, I believe, episode 54 of this Family Tree podcast. Legendary interview. It's one of our favorites. You went for it on that one. I did go for it. I'm so proud of myself. And uh, anyway, he's been in the news all day today. Have you seen him at all? I knew about this story like a while ago with Meghan Markle. Yeah, but why is it coming up now? So tell the story for everybody. And then I want to talk about why it's coming up now. Because I knew the story too. I'm going to loosely tell it. But he was, he used to hang out with Meghan Markle as a friend. A tabloid wanted to pay Simon Mm $70,000 to lie and say that he had a relationship with Meghan. And he, of course, turned that down. And uh, she sent him a thank you note. And he framed the thank you note. Mm -hmm. That's... Yeah, she thanked him for having integrity and like being, you know, one of the nice people left in the world. But it's been in the news all day today. And I'm assuming it's because Red Rocket is being talked about right now. Well, he's back on top, kind of. He he did this indie film, which is from the same director who did the Florida Project and Tangerine. And uh, yeah, his career is on the upswing right now. And he's going to be in a movie soon with like a ton of stars. I think uh, Diane Keaton is going to be in that movie. Yeah. And I believe he's in a movie with Meryl Streep coming up too. But yeah, he's doing well. No, it's so cool. So episode 54, go listen to that. Again, like amazing interview. We should re-release that one in honor of his uh, newfound success. Sure. Because of us. Yeah, Lord knows what we were talking about uh, 100 episodes ago or whatever it's been. Polly Shore's next. Yes. First Simon Rex, Polly Shore's on the up and up next. We are the good luck charm, yes. But Shane, I say let's cut it here and get into our interview with Dr. Lori Brado. Okay, let's get to that. But before we do that, let's tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh, a premium organic, ethically made and sustainable clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh makes the best basics for your littles and they believe in quality over quantity, making fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy and timeless and can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender. Although I don't think Lucy would allow Betty to even wear her things. <laughs> She's so possessive over the mini miosh clothing. It's true. She loves it so much. Betty loves it so much. And now, folks, we've been talking about the possibility and I am so excited to finally say mini miosh has their first women's collection. Wait, women? What about men? <laughs> You're left out for now. Okay. But Shane, Fine. I mean, because of the fact that it is simple and basic and just amazing quality, I mean, you and I can share. I'll just get in a bigger size. Okay. Then we're good. But they've got a new collection out for women. It's simple, amazing quality basics made of French terry. And like everything else from Mini Miosh, it's ethical and sustainable. Simple's very in vogue, though. You don't want a big uh, logo on the front anymore, do you? Nobody does. 2022. (laughs) And of course, their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. Mini Miosh is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. So you can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15, you're getting 15 
15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is minimiosh.com and this family tree 15. And now let's get to our interview with Dr. Lori. Dr. Lori Brado. Welcome to this Family Tree podcast. It is Thank such you. a pleasure to have you. Speaking about one of my favorite things, not necessarily the lack of sex or why it's hard, but sex and the good that can come from it when we, I don't know, try to make it work, I guess. Yeah. So, Laura, you're you're a psychologist and you're from Canada, which we are so excited about because we, we get a lot of Americans. Uh, we're a Canadian podcast. Welcome to hosting anybody, but it's great to have a Canadian can you tell me a bit about what your background is in, like your study? Yeah, so I, I am a psychologist and my area of focus is on helping people have better sex lives. Um, so in my private practice, uh, you know, I might see a wide range of people who walk through the door. Probably the most common concern is I've lost my desire. I'm not interested in sex. It's wreaking havoc in my relationship. I see just as many people with difficulties with orgasm or fear of sex or not feeling aroused like they used to be or um, disliking their body and that leading to avoidance during sex. And so my, my clinical practice is really focused on how do you help all of those beautiful varieties of, of difficulty feel like there's something they can do about it. So I spend some of my time doing that. And then uh, the rest of my time, I'm a sex researcher at, at UBC in Vancouver, where we uh, develop and test um, treatments, mostly mindfulness-based and psychological treatments to help sexual concerns. So I'm sort of able to hear the stories, bring them to the research lab, test, develop, see what works, and then take those treatments and bring them back into the, my offices with people I see. And did your curiosity in this just develop from sitting around university and listening to the sex tales of friends and then saying, I, I need to find a way to help you? Nope. <laughs> Most <laughs> definitely not. I grew up in a pretty sex negative home. Okay. It wasn't just an absence of conversations about sex. It was outright, you know, sex is bad, sex is dirty, sort of all the maybe stereotypic things that you hear about people who grew up in really, really conservative households. And mm -hmm. thankfully, my my parents have done a complete 180 and uh, <laughs> are and love the fact that this is my area of focus. So I really fell into it by accident. I started volunteering in a research lab that was studying rats having sex to try and understand the impact of medications. Sounds um, like the least sexy thing I've ever heard of. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> sexy because you had to sort of force the male and female rats to have sex. So you would prime the females with hormones, get them all ready, and then <laughs> pick them up by the tail and drop them into a glass, a tiny glass bin with a turned on male rat. And oh my goodness. So I did that for six years and <laughs> which is a long time. Uh, but it also, it, it did a couple of things for me. First of all, it introduced me to sexual research as a, as a serious mm -hmm. science, not just this frivolous thing that people do on a Saturday night. And, uh, you know, it's always great every time. So it really introduced me to the importance of studying sexuality in this kind of very, very controlled way. Um, and then at the same time, it got me interested in sexual health and these bigger questions about 
in what areas do people struggle sexually and what treatments are there available? And so the year that Viagra was approved in Canada in 1999, um, that same year, a big study came out showing that, you know, 40% of women really have difficulties with sex. Mm -hmm. And I then made the switch out of the rat lab into the human lab and haven't looked back since. But yeah, it was definitely not an intentional pathway. It was more so luck and chance and, you know, Mm-hmm. And a bit a bit of curiosity as well. Yeah, well, and I mean, you know, using so grateful to have people that want to get into that field because like with any other field that's focused primarily on women, even maternal care, it is so severely underfunded, understaffed, yeah. and under-researched. And like mm-hmm. as a woman with lupus, a, a disease that affects mostly women, it is so under-researched. Yeah. Completely. So this is such a problem. And I'm actually shocked that Viagra only came out in 99. For some reason, I, I thought it had been out much longer. Yeah, it feels like it's been around forever. But and it's and it's probably because we've had other treatments for men's sexual health concerns mm. for uh, for long before that, right? The injectables, which actually work really well. The problem is, is that you have to inject the penis in order for them to work. So there's <laughs> there's that factor Not which led to it. But those had been around for a long time, and so here we are, you know, 2022. And yes, we do have two approved medications for low desire in women, which we've had now for two years, but they're not very good. They have all sorts of side effects. They're barely better than placebo. And so you sort of say, huh, we've had 40 years of effective, safe, accessible treatments for men and this for women, something Mm -hmm. that can't be mixed with alcohol, something that it costs $800 a month. That kind of defeats the purpose. It's thank you. Yes, it right? sure does. <laughs> it sure I mean, does. that that's going to be really tough because even just as a married woman with two young kids, if we are making the time for that, it's going to be on a date yeah. night. It's going to be on a night where we're going out. And I, I want to have a glass of wine. I want to yeah. have a martini, whatever it is. Yeah. So yeah. that would be that's kind of horrific. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So you sort of say, really, that's the best that we can do after all these years of, <laughs> of waiting. Yeah. Uh, so. There you have it. And that's why I'm so relieved that Canada is actually a hub for amazing sex research. And I often get asked by the media, you know, why are like, what do you put in the water up there? Like, why are there so many good sex researchers? And there's probably lots of reasons, but I think part of it is also funding. I think um, some of our funding agencies do take it a bit more seriously than other countries have. And I, I did part of my training in the U S and, um, for the life of me, couldn't get funding at all because it was a a pretty conservative government that was in power at the time. And so I made the choice to come back to Canada, mostly for funding reasons. You know, you mentioned that in your practice, you host people for a variety of reasons. You know, sex is painful, low sex desire, whatever. Is there one thing, one problem that you see extremely more than others that is much more common or is everything kind of on the same playing field? Yeah, low desire for sure is the the most common, regardless of a person's gender. So even men where Viagra and erectile dysfunction get the most attention, but low desire is actually more common than erectile dysfunction. So and there's lots of reasons for why low desire is the most common. Um, A big part of the reason is stress levels are so high in our society, especially right now. Yes, is not good for sexual desire. But also, I think you know, there's so many myths that uh, are infused with the whole field of sexual health. But one of the myths is that, 
we have to be in the mood for sex in order to engage in sex. And that is a myth. Um, because a lot of people, especially in longer term relationships or with kids, Mm -hmm. are frankly not in the mood. Okay, wait, Lori, I I need you to explain to me why this is true, because I know this is true, because especially at the beginning of the pandemic, when we were learning how to adjust and getting in that groove, and we still do it. But we would, and my listeners know this, God, we talk about it a lot, but we schedule sex on our calendar. Uh, And we really, we had to write it down, like the three letters, and it would be right there on a Wednesday night or Saturday night or whatever. And it seems so stupid. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is stupid. And every time, you know, we get to, we'd put the kids in bed and be like, okay, you know, this is, this is the night. And it's kind of awkward at first. But then- we start getting into it. Why? Why does that happen? Because it seems so ridiculous and our friends think it's so ridiculous. Yeah. I think there's a societal myth that if you plan, if you have to plan it, if you have to write those three little letters on your calendar, uh, that it makes it boring and clinical. And after all, sex is supposed to be fun. <laughs> and it's, it's a it's a myth and and spontaneous desire is also a myth because spontaneous desire can only really happen at the start of a relationship because it's driven by the the neurotransmitter dopamine, which requires novelty. And, you know, once you're six months into a relationship, novelty is gone. Is that all it takes, six months? Yeah, on, on average. So for some people, it's wow. they kind of ride that they kind of ride that wave out longer. But uh, si- after about six months, novelty, novelty, we can say goodbye to. And but what we get in return are all the comforts of yes. familiarity and security and dependability, all those sorts of things. But it's a trade-off and it's so a trade-off for novelty. How is it that our bodies can, and our brains, I guess, can somehow adjust to being into it when it starts off being that clinical type, throw it on the schedule and like kind of address it? How, how is it that we eventually do get into it? So it is a brain. I'm glad you mentioned how do our brains, because it is our brain. It's not just a reflex. And so when, when, when you can intentionally show up with your brain and say, mm. all right, I'm, I've committed, I'm fully in there. <laughs> and you're, you know, you're able to set aside the thoughts about the kids waking up or set aside the thoughts about, oh gosh, what's on the to-do list tomorrow. And, you know, you open your eyes and you see laundry on the floor. If you, if you really are committed about being there and being present and fully showing up in your brain, the brain, the brain takes over. It, it communicates to the body. And as the body is receiving touch, the brain tells it to, it, to interpret it and experience it as pleasure. And then when the brain does that, it sends messages to the body to keep going. So, you know, with some input on your part, which is I'm going to be here. And that doesn't mean my mind's not going to wander. It is going to wander, but when it does, I'm going to escort it back to the present moment then the rest is is up to a really reliable feedback loop between your brain and your body. Right. So okay, so what if what if we're doing it right? Hypothetically, not necessarily me asking for a friend and your mind starts to wander to the to-do list, to the stress whatever that is. There's a million in the world right now stressors. What do you do when it starts to wander if you feel that it's taking you out? Because I can tell you that when I sit or in in my group chat on my phone with all of my friends who are married, who have kids, it's always the same thing. They either have 
low desire or boring sex. And the boring sex part, I think, comes in when it's like their mind kind of starts to wander. And they don't necessarily want to have sex to enjoy it and connect with their partner, but just because it's it's a requisite. And they want to make sure that themselves and their partner are having sex. Do you know what I mean? And And then it just becomes boring. It just becomes something that you have to do. So yeah. how do we how do we get away from that yeah. low sex desire slash boring sex and turn it back yeah. into that myth of spontaneous sex that we feel like was so much better at the beginning? Yeah. So I'm going to give you a food analogy. And that is, you know, have you ever had, have you ever been served an, an incredible, incredible meal, gourmet mm-hmm. meal but because your mind was elsewhere, preoccupied, maybe something happened earlier in the day or you were anticipating something the next day, your mind was so preoccupied, you barely remember what you ate mm-hmm. or you took very little enjoyment. So we can take that same analogy and apply it to sex, that when our mind is not fully present, it turns a, it turns a potentially gourmet meal into <laughs> bland crackers that we're you know, barely <laughs> noticing that we're shoving in our mouth. Yeah. And when you pay attention, and in fact, it's, it's more than just paying attention, it's, it's really tuning into all the sensations because sex is f- full of a myriad of visual, tactile, auditory, um, olfactory uh, sensations, mm-hmm. constantly evolving, constantly changing, that that when you really tune into that, the, suddenly those dry, boring crackers become the gourmet meal. So it's, it's, it's not, now I'm not saying that there's not a lot we can do to make things more interesting during, but what I am saying is that because people are so distracted and elsewhere, their bodies are having sex and their minds are not. And thus the conclusion is sex is boring for me. Right. And then so what can what can people do if this is happening and if they find that they are straying or they are just staring at the ceiling or thinking about the to-do list? Like, is, is there yeah. anything that's practical that yeah. we can do? Yeah, I wrote a book bu- a book on this. Yes, it's called yes. Better Sex Through Mindfulness and it's uh you know mindfulness has has kind of swept us all up because it, there's been so much attention to mindfulness because we all mind wander. It's not mm-hmm. just a few people, most of us, all of us do have wandering minds. Um and it is a skill that we can cultivate to bring our minds back into the present moment. So the first thing is we have to notice when our minds take off rather than our just letting our minds go there and um, kind of get, you know, the cascade of one thought leading to another thought. We have to actually pay attention and say, oh my gosh, why on earth am I thinking about <laughs> report cards right now when I'm having sex right now? Those two things don't go together. So you have to notice that it's happening. And then um, once you notice that, you, there are things, there are practical mindfulness-based um, strategies we can put in place, like rooting yourself in physical sensation, rooting yourself in visual and what you see, and really paying attention to the minute details mm-hmm. of each of those, all the feelings, all the visual, all the tastes, et cetera, to come back into the present moment. So it's a pretty it's a pretty simple set of instructions. Mm-hmm. Just pay attention non-judgmentally. Turns out to be hard to enact yeah. because yeah. our minds are pretty stubborn and want to take off. 
Um, but with practice, and that's why I always encourage people to start practicing when they're not in the bedroom, like take 10 minutes a day and, and start to build a mindfulness practice where you, you start to see patterns of your mind and you start to become more comfortable with grabbing the mind and bringing it back. I'm training a little black lab right now, and it's training her makes me think a lot about the wandering mind, because as soon as I drop the leash during our training session, she's gone, but I don't yell at her. I just gently guide her back. And I usually give her a smile and a hug. And we want to be able to do the same things with our mind. We want to be able to say, oh, tug, tug, come back. It's okay. Our minds wander. I'm not going to be hard on you for doing that but try and stay here for a bit. And when you take off again, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to gently come back and guide you back. Well, it's like any yoga class or mindfulness app. Like I've used Calm. We used to do one every night before bed and he'd say, and you know, we're going to think about this. We're going to try to clear our mind. But if you find yourself talking, like thinking about other things, acknowledge it. Yeah. And then slowly just try to drain it from your head. And acknowledging it was always the first step. And every time I would acknowledge it, I get one step closer to actually being able to do that clear mind. But you're right. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. And I think for me, the times that I was most in my head, you know, about intimacy was probably when I was first starting to get back into it after having each of my kids, mm -hmm. because there was just so much change that I had gone through. Mm -hmm. I was in my head, I was self-conscious and that, that was really hard for me to yeah. kind of get past because, you know, I try to get out of my head, but then I just, I just kept thinking about it and it's, it's, it's so difficult because not only do things feel different, but they look different. You mm -hmm. don't know. It's, it's like you're getting to know your partner. Yeah. Again, in, in, in a very yeah. new way. So when mm -hmm. it comes to that in self-consciousness, is, is it just the same practice? or And is this something that you see with a lot of people? Yeah. So another myth that I think a lot of people carry is like once you've cracked that code on good sex, you're golden for the rest of your life. And bodies change. Our sensitivities change. Our relationships change, mm -hmm. our bodies change, hormones, everything changes. And one of the things I really love about mindfulness practice is, you know, if you look at, if you look at, let's say monks who can spend hours just meditating <laughs> on the breath and you say, oh my gosh, isn't that boring? How can you pay attention to the breath for hours? Isn't it in, out, full stop? <laughs> And they will say, you know, when you, when you really pay attention, you realize everything is changing that, that, that no two breaths are same are the same. And so mindfulness really encouraged that encourages that we practice um, impermanence. It's a, it's a kind of a Buddhist term impermanence, which is appreciating that. Yeah. Things are constantly in flux and sex is constantly in flux too. Our bodies do change. And so through compassion and being kind to ourselves, paired with an openness mm -hmm. that how we feel during sex and, and in fact what we do during sex is going to change over time then it allows us to kind of shift and pivot when the pandemic hits and suddenly we say oh my gosh i like we have no more privacy and the kids are around all the time how are we how are we going to do this or you know i actually don't miss you anymore because i'm seeing you all day how mm -hmm. can i miss you enough to want to have sex with you so 
I, I think, yeah, is dispelling that myth that that it's fixed and unchanging is the really important first step. And then that allows you to kind of cope with body changes mm-hmm. and and menopause and all of those sorts of things. And so I may be way off base here and tell me if I am. But when I think of, you know, mindfulness and sex, is is this what like tantric sex is based in? So there are definitely some similarities. Mm-hmm. Tantric sex has a very prescriptive um, set of steps that you do okay. while okay. you're engaging in in sex and and touching. So all of my work in mindfulness and sex is about how do we first help people establish a really solid mindfulness practice? And then how do we actually bring some of those exact same skills into sexuality? Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the difference. So I often recommend to people that they start a practice. So you mentioned Calm. Calm's a great app. Um, Headspace. There's lots of other great apps. There's also free meditation groups that you can join online, et cetera. And then once that's kind of solid and foundational, then we move to incorporating those same skills into sex. And now when it comes to low sex drive, are there practical steps that we can take with our on our own or with our partner, like aside from just hitting a raw oyster buffet that will yeah. help us with our desire. Uh, maybe it'll maybe help you. Um, <laughs> is that a myth? It's a myth. Yeah. I mean, I, there's some, there's some chemical properties in raw oysters that are thought to be aphrodisiacs, but okay. if you're, if you're stressed and you haven't slept and you've had a fight with your partner yes. and you're angry at them, that's going to take a heck of a lot of oysters to oh, overcome no all of those. Yeah. So. Who can afford that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Yeah. So, you know, the, what are the, some of the, the top things that we look at when it comes to low desire? First of all, it's really important to frame low desire as maybe it's discrepant desire. So it's not necessarily that you have low desire, Mm -hmm. but it's relative to your partner. So is your partner's desire too high? For example, does your partner have unrealistic expectations that sex should still happen twice a week with a newborn in the next room? Um, So it's your desire is fine, but partner's desire is too high. And maybe that's where some of the adjustment needs to happen is kind of addressing their expectations, et cetera. So definitely we look at things from a partner's perspective we do look at stress mm-hmm. uh, stress is a major, major factor. It increases our tendency to be distracted and have lots of thoughts. Um, it leads us maybe to feel anxious in our body, which creates the fight or flight response, the sympathetic nervous system, which gets in the way of sexual response and arousal. So we definitely stress is one of the top three things that we look at, but then we also look at things like, you know, are there medications that are getting in the way? What are you actually doing during sexual activity and are they arousing for you? Or maybe you're doing the things that worked 20 years ago that Mm -hmm. actually don't work anymore. They're painful for you now. Or after breastfeeding, your nipples actually hurt and you don't want to be stimulated there anymore. So that's also really important because for a lot of people, for a lot of women, they feel desire after they get aroused. So if they're not getting, if they're, if they're not having desire, you have to say what's happening with arousal is arousal happening. And then what about, you know, I think another thing that I've encountered again, just with this podcast and what we do on social media and women writing in, it's often too that they're, it's not that their needs aren't getting met, but they're not getting met in a way that would make them the happiest. And help them orgasm as they would maybe on their own. 
And it's really hard. What I found through my conversations with women is that they have a hard time saying that, especially it almost makes it harder when they've been with their partner for such a long period of time because it's, I don't know. I I don't know why that is. And maybe it's easier with some, like a new partner, but people are from in my conversations, nervous to tell their husbands that, oh, actually, you're not really doing that right for me and we need to change that. So yeah. is, is that something that you find? Oh, for sure. That's yeah. a thing. That's a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Or or we mind read or we, we – we, and we think that we're correct when we mind read, like, he should know better. We've been together yes. 20 years or – you know, all sorts, all sorts of things like that. So there's definitely ways to deliver that information in a way that doesn't put the partner on the defensive or make them feel like they're touching wrong or you're not attracted to them. Mm -hmm. So you could say something like, oh, I heard this fabulous podcast interview today. (laughs) And they really talked about how sexy it is to talk about what you like and what you don't like. And I realized we've never done that before. Mm -hmm. How would you feel about having a conversation about what feels good and what doesn't? And can we do that now outside of the bedroom? So there's definitely ways of doing it, but, but framing it in a way that's more focused on I, I language. Like I'm really curious about what would happen if you touched me here, Mm -hmm. as opposed to you're touching me wrong you're making it hurt. You're not bringing me to orgasm. So eye language always will work in your favor and help you yeah. get what you want and, and not put the other person on the defensive. Well, I think women as a whole too are kind of starting to realize that it's okay to start even exploring that for yourself in the last yeah. few decades because it absolutely wasn't before. And then everything yeah. growing up, like I think about my teenage years and university, and it's, it's still very everything felt male-centered. Like from movies, the music we listen to, it's like, oh, if you're not doing this for your guy, then you're doing it wrong. But nothing was about how I was going to feel or what he was going to do for me. There was was zero talk of that. Yeah. Is Is this changing or do you think we are still kind of firmly stuck in that it's slowly changing slowly. and we're firm and, and we're firmly stuck in it. It's actually very timely because in in March of this year, 2022, there's a great three series Netflix documentary coming out called The Principles of Pleasure. And I was really lucky to be um, included as one of the people being interviewed. That's awesome. And awesome. it's and it's all about this very question around how do we empower women? Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I say women in kind of the broadest, most inclusive sense that includes trans women or non-binary people who maybe present as as female bodied or who identify somewhat with women, though not exclusively. But how how do we kind of imp- empower them to take on the pleasure baton yeah. um, because they've never been allowed to in mm-hmm. the past. And so here we are in 2022 saying, hey, pleasure is a thing. <laughs> And you're sort of saying, really, it's 2022. And why is it taking so long? So we are seeing some the pendulum starting to swing. And my hope is that with more conversations like this, and you know, the Netflix special and other conversations people might have that that it become starts to become taken more seriously and we can see that culture shift. Absolutely. It, it is infuriating. And I realized how infuriating it was as I got older and just started to realize in every single way, 
that, you know, well, not every single way, there's a million and one ways, but just more and more ways that women were oppressed differently. I mean, you mentioned that even growing up in a sex negative household. Yeah. Right. And I know people growing up in different religions and there it is is almost a mortal sin to have sex before you're married, to yeah. have sex for pleasure in a marriage outside of the goal to have children. And yeah. I just think of the ways that this can harm women and and their experiences with it and then force them again to get in the thinking of, oh, sex isn't for me. It's mm-hmm. to bear children and to keep my husband happy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's so pervasive. Like it, yeah, it's, it's it in is. everything. And with my daughters, that is something that terrifies me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew yeah. up in a quite quite a sex positive household. My parents can't keep their hands off each other. And it used to totally freak me out. But, you know, when I got old enough to realize that it's because they love each other so much and have a strong connection, I was like, oh, that's something I want. I yeah. love that. But it it still is skewed, I think, yeah. just from yeah. how we discuss it with our friends. Yeah. Yeah. So thinking about your own kids and people who are listening who have their own kids is start as early as possible in non non-sexual ways, teaching them about independence and finding their voice and empowerment and never being afraid to be critical or ask hard questions, all of which are, you know, make for that sense of independence and empowerment when it comes to sex as well. So you don't want to wait till people, till those daughters are in relationships to start to cultivate those skills in them. You want to start from day one to do that. So we talk about like with my daughters, they're one in three. So we talk about like consent, you know, we don't make them hug or kiss people if they don't want to. We talk about, you know, this is your vulva, this is, mommy and daddy can wipe it, maybe grandma grandma and grandpa can wipe it if they're babysitting you, but that's it. Nobody touches yeah. it except for you. But then I'm, it might, it makes me nervous. I can deal with these discussions as toddlers and kids because they're, it's easy. It's like basically anatomy and consent. Yeah. That's easy. But then it it makes me nervous to start saying, well, if you get in a relationship, here's how to, I mm-hmm. I don't know how to go about having those conversations. And I, I, I don't know when to start those. Yeah. So you, you are, your daughters are going to be just fine. <laughs> Let me reassure you, <laughs> because you. if you are teaching them those critical messages around consent and proper genital mm. anatomy wow, you're miles ahead of a lot of people. And by the time that they get to that stage of being in a relationship, you know, they, they will have so much knowledge uh, and you will have so much more knowledge because the conversation between what you're having, having right now, this is your vulva to, you know, here's how to say no and, and why Mm -hmm. saying no is so important in your relationship. You're going to be having a million other conversations between those two conversations. I mean, just you wait till they start discovering (laughs) that bath water feels good on their vulva (laughs) and you're going to be horrified about, you know, them feeling sexual sensations in the back. I'm speaking from firsthand experience when that happened to my kids. And I was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a sex researcher. And I'm like embarrassed that they're running the water on their, on their private parts. My years what of rat study are uh, coming back to home. Right. I right. can't imagine. Yeah. I just have to say, Laura, I can't imagine the nightmares you must get from those rats. 
<laughs> yeah, they do come back to haunt me every once in a while, for sure. Yeah, so I, I think you're doing all the right things. And it's just it's just remembering that it's an it's an ongoing conversation. It's not one and done. All right, Lori, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs just makes the best nursing bras that you can get your hands on. You can say that again. <laughs> Their bras are simple. They look great under a t-shirt and they're so practical and easy to use. Like I struggle with bras, but these were actually easy for me. You like saying simple a lot, I've realized. You've been throwing that around a lot. But continue. I don't don't Simplicity get self-conscious. Important. It's true. <laughs> and now it's very exciting because Bravado Designs has their everyday collection. So these bras do not have clips. They are not for nursing mothers. They are for anybody with boobs. And they are wonderful. So you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off your order. Again, that's bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. But we are also supported by True Earth. If you listen to our podcast, you know that Shane and I have been making big moves in our lives to reduce our environmental footprint. One way that we have done this is by eliminating single-use plastics in our household. I can confidently say we're doing a pretty damn good job at it. I feel like a young David Suzuki. (laughs) And one of the biggest impacts I've found is that, you know, we go through a lot of laundry. we got two little messy kids and we just had constant overflow of like laundry detergent bottles in the laundry room. It was awful. But when we discovered True Worth laundry detergent eco strips a few months ago, we have not looked back. The detergent itself comes in these pre-measured soluble strips, which you simply rip apart and put in your washer. It's like one strip for a regular load, two strips for a big one. It is so easy and it is so effective. Plus, I mean, there's no plastic. So the packaging is super compact and it drastically changes the tidiness of your laundry room. Yeah. And we mentioned 80% of plastic doesn't get recycled. You just did. Okay, good. (laughs) so you are being incredibly environmentally friendly and as a family who have kids with super sensitive skin we typically opt for the baby detergent because it's fragrance free gentle on everybody's skin and still so tough on dirt our clothes come out smelling great and crispy clean so check out true earth detergent at true.earth and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 to get 10% off your order you will love this product take my word for it again that is true.earth and thisfamilytree10 and now let's get back to our conversation with Dr. Lori Brado. And the last thing I want to touch on, because I'm assuming, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, I know nothing. This is why I have experts on, so I can learn, so <laughs> listeners can learn. Um, but, you know, I know you're a researcher in sexual arousal disorder, or is it dysfunction? Female sexual arousal disorder, dysfunction, whatever. Yeah. So is that kind of the umbrella for everything that we have talked about, like low sex drive, you know, not being too stressed out, everything like that? Yeah. So female sexual dysfunction or FSD mm-hmm. is kind of the umbrella term, but it's it's really not that helpful because it doesn't tell you where people struggle because yeah. under that umbrella is the person who has pain with sex mm-hmm. and thus has lost their desire all the way through to the person who has had traumatic experiences, traumatic sexual experiences, and thus dissociates and has panic attacks every time they want to have sex. So two very different stories, they fall within this umbrella. 
So what's really important are the details that if a person is feeling like something is not right, it's a real change from before, it's persistent for at least six months, and it's getting in the way of in my in getting in the way of my life in some significant way, then they should ask for help. And sorry, could the getting in in the way of your life, could that be like focusing too much on it during the day and then not being able to be happy or present? Yeah, that might be one. So they're worrying about it so much that it's just become all consuming and it's become almost obsessive. Like, okay, that's one way. Another way is that it makes you depressed, right? Or you have panic attacks when you think about it, or you're having, or you're avoiding relationships Mm. because you're so afraid of, of having sex in that relationship. So those would be some examples of interference. Okay. And Lori, Thank you so much for being here. And I, I want to, I need to pick up your book, Better Sex Through Mindfulness. And I, I know the listeners are going to want to pick it up too, but where where can we do that? Where can we do that? Where can we find you online? Yeah, for sure. So Better Sex Through Mindfulness, um, you can find it, you know, Chapters Indigo, Amazon. My next book is, in, is coming out in September mm-hmm. and it's actually Better Sex Through Mindfulness, the workbook. So I've taken all of the concepts that I describe in Better Sex And I've created them into literally a workbook that people can work through step by step. I have all my downloadable meditation files. So that's coming out in the fall. So it's like a how-to basically. Yeah, it's like, that's amazing. Exactly, exactly. And then, yeah, the the upcoming Netflix three-part series, I'm really excited about because it's about pleasure. As I said, it's called The Principles of Pleasure. And, you know, it features real people, real women, and also scientists and experts in the field to try and make some sense of all the complexity, (laughs) but do so in a way that normalizes and empowers. And we have a lot of fun with it, too. That's awesome. And it's not that complex. I think if if we're trying to, you know, tell our husbands, tell your boyfriends, your partners, whatever, the clitoris does exist. You can show them where it is. Yeah. And... That does help because it is a myth. And I have one yeah. friend who doesn't believe this. It, well, when we were younger anyway, but women can't always achieve, like not all women have the ability to achieve orgasm through only vaginal intercourse. Can they? So let me give you a number to put by that. <laughs> okay. That's based on science. At least two studies have now found the same number. 80% of women cannot experience orgasm through penis in vagina or dildo in vagina or finger in vagina penetration alone. So women who do say that they have an orgasm with intercourse, chances are that the clitoris is being stimulated at the same time. There you go, friend from university. I hope you're listening. I was right. That's a huge number though. It's a huge number. Yeah. Why do, wait, so I'm sorry. I was trying to conclude the interview why (laughs) then I threw this curveball at you (laughs) why do we act like that's not the case because our understanding of the anatomy and physiology of women's bodies is about a hundred years behind our understanding of men's bodies Mm -hmm. so you know surgeons are able to do nerve sparing radical prostatectomy and protect that nerve so that he could still have his erections. And in women, they have no idea what the nerve pathways are that give rise to pleasure. So that's that's why. That's wild to me. That is so wild and not shocking though. 
not shocking. And this is why we need more women in STEM, more women in science, in medicine to protect our rights, to research what we need. But Dr. Lori Brado, I cannot wait to see the pleasure principle, the principles of pleasure. Principles of pleasure. Cannot wait. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, me too. Yes. Congratulations, (laughs) by the way, for landing that gig. That is sweet. Thank you. That's huge. Um, and yeah, gonna pick up your book. But where where can we get your book again? Everywhere. Uh, you can, yeah, pretty much. In most bookstores in Canada have them, or chapters Indigo or Amazon. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been really wonderful, and it truly did take, help take my mind off of everything else. So good, <laughs> I good. do I'm appreciate glad. it, Laurie. Check. <laughs> All the best. Nice meeting you. You too. Take Bye. care. What a sexual conversation, Alex, in a good way. (laughs) It was an informational conversation, and I think it brought to light just sexuality as women's health. And I really loved that aspect of it because that, of course, like any other aspect of women's health, so underfunded, so understudied, and so um, stigmatized in conversation. So I really appreciated her for coming on and chatting about that with me. I had a great time. Yeah, you got a little raunchy in this one. You kiss your mother with that mouth? Get out of here. I I did not listen. (laughs) I have not listened to the interview yet. But you will. I will. You will, and you're going to learn something. Okay. But let's get into the question, Shane. Let's do this. This is the mailbag segment. We take listener questions. You take listener questions. I'm looking at you, Alex. All right. And you answer them. And then I listen to them. And then I might say something if I'm asked something. Do you provide feedback? Yeah. Let's go. All right. First question. Why is the term biological clock only ever applied to women? Well, can I take this? You can take it. And then I got some science. Isn't it because the window of opportunity closes on a woman and it doesn't close on a man? Like, for instance, a nine-year-old man can have a child, but a nine-year-old woman could not? So... Yeah, essentially, that's like the mean potatoes of it. But female fertility starts decreasing at a much earlier age, obviously, than male fertility. So female fertility starts to reduce in your early 30s, which is wild. Uh, And then even more so after the age of 35, which you know why, like if you're over 35 and you've had a kid, they used to refer to it as a geriatric pregnancy. That's what they referred to it when I was pregnant. I don't know what it's called now. I think it's called what a uh, granny baby. Now. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, you know, it, it is difficult. It is so difficult in uh, as you get to towards the 40s. But it happens like a Janet Jackson, right? Did she not have a baby in her 50s? Yeah, but who knows what went into that money and things. Oh, of and- course, of course. And it, it is so difficult. And then you get to men and they do still have there is a biological clock, but it's moving, of course, at a different pace. So for men, they're clock starts to reduce around their fertility starts to reduce around 40 and then really reduces after 45 so what happens this your sperm quality decreases shane got a sperm test like a few years ago and your sperm was like amazing quality all the swimmers were like in really good shape and everything Yeah, i tested it uh, against all my friends not that it's a competition of course but if it were a competition, I would have won that competition. <laughs> the machine they used to test it almost exploded. Uh, <laughs> but I'm interested. As did I to get the uh, specimen. Okay, if you fine. did, if you did it again at age 45, it would be interesting to compare because that's when male fertility really starts to go down. You remember how they were saying all your guys were in like a really nice shape. Mm-hmm. So I get what what is that? Is that the mo- mobility? 
no mobility is like how they swim but it was a word like that but mm. that was different yeah, there was a couple words floating around um they're so, all positive yeah well in your case but uh so yeah so they they get more misshapen you get less and then it increases the risk of miscarriage fetal death everything like that because the sperms aren't as good a quality as they were when you were younger and then of course as men age it is more difficult to have a viable pregnancy but so men do have a biological clock, but because it happens like 15 years after women, you know, that thing started to decrease. I guess that's why we really only refer to women. Yeah. But anyway, next up, orgasmic birth. What's the deal? Does it just happen or are women trying to make it happen? Have you ever heard of this? Uh, is it a bad time to mention I was having an orgasm as Lucy was born? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no uh th this is only for women right yes okay um so orgasmic birth i you know i had heard of this i thought it was mostly a joke but there's a documentary it came out in 2009 it, it's called orgasmic birth the best kept secret and i mean if this is a possibility if this is something that is achieved why is it a secret why is everybody not trying to have you know, a less painful, more pleasurable birth experience. Because, of course, orgasm does decrease Have the amount of pain that, that you can feel. No, but I kind of want to. I'm just curious now. I've seen snippets of it. You have? Just like one or two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's not a lot of research on this. And with every, like, pseudoscientific thing you see in the motherhood world, in the women's health world, whatever, you do have to be so careful. But there was one 2013 study and it estimated that like a natural orgasmic birth could occur in 0.3% of vaginal births. So it is it's super rare, but it is a possibility. However, these would have to be like the women that would be able to have this happen. They would need to be the type of woman that can be reach orgasm solely through vaginal, you know, Sex. Ta yeah. Intercourse. Yeah, because most women need clitoral stimulation as well. They do? Yes. I mean, they do, of course. <laughs> and there's only a small percentage of women who can actually, you know, just vaginally. So hmm. that needs to be the case. And then on top of that, the baby would also need to be kind of putting pressure against your G-spot as you're delivering. And then you would have to you know, be able to meditate yourself out of the pain into the other sensations in order for it to happen. So it's like so many things stacking up and a couple of those things are like totally out of your control. So it is super rare. So if, you know, there is somebody who is trying actively to do this, and maybe they could, but there's a very, very small chance. So I would not cons call it the best kept secret because if only 0.3% of women are able to possibly have this happen. It's like lightning striking. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's nuts. Anyway, next question. How do you handle a toddler meltdown? Shane, take it. You're really good at these. So you, uh, what do I do? Uh, I get down on it one knee mm -hmm. and I rationalize. I think toddler- it's like eye level. Eye level, yes. Yeah, most toddlers are shorter. So I, I, go, <laughs> I go, if it's a tall one, I just stay put. But yeah, one knee- and I explain why. I think toddlers just want to know why they can't do something. Today, Lucy really wanted to put her her boots on the floor of the car. And our car is 
objectively terribly <laughs> messy. So on there's clothing on it, all these things. So I'm saying, you can't put your feet on the floor. She goes, I want to. I want to get out of the car seat on my own. And she's flipping out. So I said, the reason you can't put your feet on the car seat is, here, I'll take you out, is because there's so many clothes there and you're wearing muddy boots because it was raining today and you wore your rain boots and they're all covered in mud and we can't do that. And then she was like, got out, but she didn't go further with it. And I I think a lot of people, they don't explain why the Mm -hmm. toddler can't do the thing. And what's worked for me, like some of the time, not all the time, is explaining it and actually showing them why. And then they seem to appreciate it and they understand more than they let on. Oh, absolutely. And I think one thing that you do super well that sometimes maybe it's because like if I have the kids more on a particular day, I just lose my patience. But if you take the time, because it does take time to get down and rationalize and explain to an angry toddler why they can't do something. Yeah, it does take a chunk of time. However, I find that that is given back to you in that they're ta- they're tantrums, right? Or it's shorter. Whereas yeah. if you are just trying to avoid the conversation because you're in a rush and you don't want to take the time, the tantrum is just going to last five times longer than it could. So I, I try to be more like you when this thing happens because I could, I find myself trying to be like, oh, I, I can't explain right now. Like, let's just go. Come on. You're not allowed. Mommy said, no, you're just not allowed. You know what I mean? Yeah. But... Like Lou really wanted to ride. She got a bike for her birthday, her early birthday yeah. gift. Her birthday's in May. She got it in March. And she wanted to ride it through the house. And she wanted to really have a freak out this morning. But I was just showing her how dangerous it would be if she did. <laughs> <laughs> but then you came out this morning. And she's like, Mommy, can I ride my bike? And you're like, okay. You moved everything. She fell three times. Like it was <laughs> terrible. But Lou was looked at me and she could tell. And she's just like, yeah, you're right. Well, the thing is, she didn't even ask me to ride it inside. She wanted to go outside and ride it. It was raining. And I was like, let's ride it in here. That'll be fun. Oh, it was your suggestion. Totally my idea. Well, yeah. I'm proud of Luke. <laughs> I, thought, I did think that was a little sneaky. I say no, yes, mom. No, no, no. I Totally my suggestion. Some of my favorite memories, and I told Shane this after, were rollerblading in our family house. Like my whole family would put on rollerblades on like a snowy or rainy day. And we'd rollerblade around That's the bottom floor. fine. If- <laughs> It's not a memory if you're three. You it, you had to have been at least four yeah. to have these memories. Yeah. No, so I'm, if you're I, think, five I was probably or around six, eight. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Rollerblades too are different than a big bike. <laughs> and your house is bigger than a, <clears throat> your house growing up is bigger than this one. It's true. All right. Next question. Shaney, this is a Shane one. Shane has said before that he can be uncomfortable in social settings. How does he switch it on for the camera? Shane comes across so confident doing videos online. And of course, you know, in the show you're you're writing, like you're the main actor. That's I need an excuse to do something. For example, I could probably have a three hour conversation with someone I just met if there's mics in front of us mm-hmm. and the whole pretense is, oh, you have to talk. It's not weird to get in depth and have in-depth conversations small talk is the real killer or being at a party and not being there with someone and other people might relate to that and Mm -hmm. think oh i'm awkward if i'm the only person at a party too but it's just so amplified for me that it sometimes makes me a little agoraphobic but with you i don't care if a camera's rolling i'll get out there and i'll do anything for a laugh if it's Mm -hmm. as long as there's a purpose if i'm caught doing something yeah, I would say, oh, this is for a sketch show. But then I can be very shy. Like Robert De Niro in an interview on a talk show is very shy. Mm-hmm. But he can go do Goodfellas and all these other movies where he's not. 
All right, next question. Best parenting move. So aside from the one, because I do think the one Shane just mentioned about leveling and explaining to others is amazing. But if there's anything else we can think, I think, and we've said it so many times on this podcast, um, we learned it in one of our interviews we've had too with Big Little Feelings, but the 10 minute miracle, 10 minutes with your kids per day where you do not look at your phone, you do not talk to anybody else solely zoned in with your kid playing how they want to play. The best one, this is probably from Big Little Feelings also, if you have this elaborate, annoying bedtime routine that just goes on for seemingly unlimited time, set a five-minute timer every night. Have mm-hmm. your toddler hit start on your iPhone and count down for five minutes. When the alarm goes off, they know the five minutes is up and they go to bed. Started doing that a month or two ago, and it's been the best thing I've ever done, mm-hmm. ever. Well, she for, gets it's it. It's time-saving, yeah. Uh, next question. What do you guys do for a living besides the social media gig? New listener. So I, I'm in education and Shane, you I got the do, exciting job. It's not, it's not exciting. It's honestly not. And people who think it is are only outsiders because anyone in the business, which is directing and video editing, it's tedious. And there's a lot of staring at a blank page and <laughs> ideation and things that don't seem like work, but that put you in a total brain fog. But that's what I do. I I write and direct commercials. I'm also working on a sketch show right now, which we're hoping to shoot in the summer, which should hopefully, fingers crossed, be on Crave Mm -hmm. before 2022. Of course, anything can happen, though. I was also supposed to be doing this two years ago, and then a pandemic struck. So a lot of things are subject to change in this industry, too. So, uh, yeah, music videos I used to direct. That's how you and I met on an Arkell's video called Where You Going? Where You Going? Yeah, that's how we met. Uh, How do you guys manage to have the time to raise kids, do so much content, and work jobs? It's a, how do you, uh, I think two hour, we pretty much do all the TikTok videos in a two hour chunk on Mm -hmm. Saturday and Sunday while Betty's napping. Lou is having, ship them out all week. Yeah, Lucy's having big girl quiet time. So it might seem like we're doing video content every day, but it's just in one isolated chunk. And we try to have all the videos ready to written, ready to go and just Mm -hmm. shoot them off and not be too precious about it. Scheduling too. Like for me, if I'm working during the day at my job, I need to use my lunch hour to do work. I need to use any little breaks I have to do ideation, put posts together, things like that. So for me, it's just taking advantage of the small amounts of time before I get home. Because I know that when I get home for the day at 3.30, I got to be with the kids and I want to be with the kids and I don't want to be doing a half-assed job on something else while I'm half playing with the kids. It's awful. So just trying to get everything into that, you know, eight-hour workday is crucial for me. And the half hour after the kids go to to bed, that's Mm -hmm. a time where you can put a post up. Uh, Having set days, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you're trying to do main posts seven days a week. We throw mm-hmm. up a, a TikTok, Instagram reel. Mondays, you'll throw up the ad spots to do swipe up so people can get discounts, which only companies and products that we stand by. And then Tuesday, you throw up the yeah. uh, reels, and, like and a promotion. Ultimately, I think we can do it because we enjoy it and we like the chase and we like the game of it all. But no matter what, like if you are constantly busy with work, with a side hustle, with a project, whatever, something else is going to suffer. And usually what suffers here is the cleanliness of our house and particularly uh, the laundry room. 
And I mean, I don't care. Do you care that much? It's annoying, but the juice is worth the squeeze. So we wouldn't Mm. do it if it wasn't worth it. And the hope is maybe we're such an empire that we can afford like (laughs) all these servants and butlers and chefs. <laughs> right? That's the thing that can happen. I would love a masseuse. If we ever yeah. build an empire, I would love a masseuse. That would be great. Like once a week, we just both get like a massage. Well, tomorrow's your birthday, and you've also requested a birthday massage, amongst other things. So don't don't worry, that's happening. Good. The birthday massage happens after a bottle of wine when you're feeling a little loose too, Shane. Okay. You've been <laughs> listening to too many Lori Brado interviews. Uh, next question. Did your husband have the stash when you first met? Yes, he did. Why do you think I fell so hard in love with him? And why do you think he will never get rid of it? Because I won't love I won't let him. I find this to be an, a rather insulting question. Do you think do it was you? intended to be? No. I don't. I think it's a curiosity. It almost sounds like a why are you with him is it because he didn't have a mustache and then the mustache looks bad now and we're trying to figure no, out what it's because okay. he has the stash if they uh, want to know why i'm with him do i know this person is this the real miss blondie no okay no uh somebody who doesn't write in often so it's good do i know them no oh okay uh, I'll, I'll okay. assume it's positive two more questions world war three nato all of it that that's a lot. I, I'm not going to speak on NATO. We could get in sitting here what for does NATO three stand hours. For again? North American Trade Organization. Oh, isn't it treaty? Treaty, yeah. Okay. But yeah, in regards to everything that's going on, it's horrific. It's horrific. I'm so upset by it every single day, and I I know that people are in talks. Zelensky and Putin are in talks right now, and I think they're nearing the ends of the peace talks. And I, I truly hope that. Something can be worked out where there is a ceasefire and where Russia can also be punished for the atrocities that they've been committing. War crime after war crime. But it's it's horrific to me. And I am like super nervous just about even if this doesn't escalate into anything, I'm just so nervous. This has really brought up a lot of fears for me about a World War Three and like nuclear attacks and what would happen. Was I talking about it on the podcast where I was looking at the bomb maps? Yeah, you were looking at how, like, how long it would take if Toronto was bombed, mm-hmm. how long it would take to get to Hamilton, and you deduced that it was fifteen minutes. No, it's just like where we'd have to go to get out of the range of the radiation and everything. Oh yes, you you talked about the Toronto thing, but mm-hmm. you also said yeah, if we went to your cottage, we'd be safe. Yeah, so like, I'm not gonna look at that kind of stuff on a normal sunny day, but I've been looking at that kind of stuff so frequently because it is terrifying. It really is terrifying. But yeah, so I, I don't want to think about it right now because I'm trying to get into relaxed birthday mode, guys. I'm turning 33. I need to be zen. Why do you need to be zen at 33? Because I like going into a new birthday zen and feeling good. Well, mission not accomplished, by the way. <laughs> Just let you know you're failing. That's why I'm going to do a face mask and play Toe Jam and Earl tonight. Okay. To get zen. I like it. I might even have a vodka. Cool. Last question. I like how I just, just because I asked the acronym for NATO, I get skipped, but I'm happy to be skipped. Go, go. Next question. Do it. I like, I like the idea of Hawaii. Being in Hawaii feels cool. Say Hawaii. Tahiti sounds really cool. I've never been there, but I love saying like, let's go to Tahiti or whatever. Like that sounds like cool. 
I don't know. It might be a terrible place, but it sounds amazing. Nope. I, I used to be obsessed with Benny and Veronica comics and Veronica went to Tahiti and it was like an extended comic. So it like went through like it was like half the comic book and she had this crazy adventure in Tahiti. And ever since then, I have been obsessed also with the idea of going to Tahiti and also like somewhere like Bora Bora. Are sounds you a Tahiti fun. treat fan? I am a Tahiti treat. Okay. I, I would be if we got there. Tahiti but yes, tre- I like Tahiti Trade. It's delicious. And it's pink. You can't go wrong with that. Pink pop. <laughs> <laughs> if we were playing the laughing game right now, I'd, I'd be handling myself just fine. Um, but no. Yeah, I like Tahiti Treat. I love the idea of Tahiti. My favorite place that I've been to is the Greek islands. I think it's so magical there. Like everything there is so magical. The food is incredible. The people are amazing. The water is the warmest. And I would love to go there with Shane one day. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I was supposed to go to Greek for a month once with a Greek guy. No way. Yeah, I worked. I was uh, selling phones at Rogers, and then we were gonna. I, then I met. I ended up in a relationship, and I couldn't leave to Greece. Oh wow! But I. But like, I, were you gonna go down like to see his family or something? Yeah, he had it all planned out. Said I could come. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, you missed out. I know. Clearly, that relationship didn't work out, and you missed out on a trip to Greece. I know. But maybe that relationship, maybe that decision led us to each other, Shane. I could have been with a Greek woman right now. Exactly. A Greek goddess. Exactly. Clearly, I didn't end up with any Greek gods. Is this a roast or podcast, Alex? I did make out with a guy named okay. Leonidas. Okay. Like I, in 300. Yeah. I made out with a woman named Amber. What's the point? <laughs> she looked like a young Pam Anderson. <laughs> But that's all we got. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you'll listen to another one. I hope you give us a five-star rating. But what what's that? You sound so listless. What is listless? Just like... Fine. Thanks for listening to <laughs> This, this Family, Family Tree, Tree Podcast. Podcast. Episode 123.